Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with the National League Rookie of the Year, National League MVP, and a World Series champion. Recently, he took me deep in, a, in, a, in the 2023 Celebrity Softball game. Not too many people that could say they've taken Brett Boone's deep, obviously, because I haven't been on the mound. But uh, we're, we're really glad to have today on the Boone Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ryan Howard. Ryan, thanks for coming on the program. Booney, thank you for having me. And uh, we need to also let the listeners know that Booney did politely return the favor of uh, taking me deep in the same celebrity <laughs> softball game uh, with, with a vengeance. So it was yeah. it was awesome. Right. It was great getting to catch up with you. You know, we kind of crossed paths in our career. You know, you were coming, I was going, and uh, I got to watch you, you play for a long time uh, and the great career you did have. Going into that softball, have you done that before? You know what? I did it one time. I did it um, in Cleveland at the All-Star game in Cleveland. So that was the first time I'd played in the celebrity uh, softball game at the All-Star All-Star weekend. And, I mean, as you as you found out, man, it's it's a blast. It's a blast. You need the ice tub, like a full ice bath afterwards. But, like, yeah. but it, was, it was a lot of fun. Because coming into it, you know, I get the phone call and, they, you know, it's a, uh, it's in Seattle. So, so you know, I got the phone call to be a part of it. And at first it sounded, you know, it sounded like a good idea. I'll just come up there. As we were getting closer, you know, we, we meet up. Uh, for those of you listening to the Boom Podcast, we meet up before in, in the clubhouse, an auxiliary clubhouse. And I'm looking at these guys and, and uh, you know, I don't know about you. I didn't, other than the athletes. You know, you were there, and and Cammy was there. Felix, uh, Adam Jones. We had a f- couple football players, some hoop hoop guys. Zach Levine was there, so I knew those guys. I knew Joe McHale mm-hmm. uh, from Talk Soup, and and we're similar age. But everybody else, I'm going. Okay, we got a YouTuber. We got a we got a singer songwriter. Uh, we got JoJo Siwa. My kids know who they are, but I don't know the, who they are. Going into the game, I'm thinking. This is going to be a nightmare. It was really good. It was entertaining. You know, I think we ended up beating you, nipping you at the wire 21-19. But I have to say I went in very pessimistic, and I came out smiling like that was actually kind of fun. It was great. It was, man. I mean, you know, getting getting behind 13-2, to two, I think, after the first three innings in a softball game is pretty – it's a pretty steep hill to climb and come back, but – we tried to make it, you know, try to make it interesting there at the end. And uh, again, it had a lot of fun just being able to get out there with with all the different people, as you mentioned, uh, from athletes to YouTubers to, you know, singer songwriters and just everybody was going after it. I mean, we had um, I forget who it was. People sliding, making making big plays and big catches and doing stuff on defense. So it, it, it got a little intense out there. It got a little intense. It was fun. It was fun. Ryan, very unique situation, your career. Uh, You're drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies. You played your entire career there. Um, Pretty unique in today's in today's time. Not too many people get to do that. I I think 
and I'll get into it a little bit later, I think pretty special uh, being able to say I was, I was always a Philly. It never changed it in a, in a day and a time where athletes at the top level, they're moving around all the time, you know, with the, with the finances, the way it is pretty, pretty cool to be able to stay in one place. I grew up in Philadelphia. You're a kid from St. Louis. I grew up in Philly, so I know how the Philly sports is. My dad played there from, I believe, 72 to 81. Uh, so I got that full childhood in just, just over the Walt Whitman Bridge in New Jersey, Cherry Hill area. But I know how it is back there. It's different. It's different than anywhere else I've ever been. It's you better love your Phillies, Eagles, Flyers, Sixers. And it's like a package deal. Um Talk about the Philly experience and and how different that was for you growing up in St. Louis, which is also, uh, as everybody knows, great baseball town. Yeah, it's uh, it is St. Louis. You know, having been grown up, born and raised in St. Louis, um, understanding what Cardinal fans are and the passion that the fans in St. Louis have and the love that they have for for their teams. Um, is it's just as strong, if not, as you know, aggressively stronger in Pennsylvania. Um, I, I knew what it was like when I got drafted. I mean, you always kind of hear the stuff about like how hard it is playing in the Northeast. Like you got to have thick skin. You got to be ready to go. It's a blue collar town and they expect a blue collar effort. And so I was that kid to where it's like, bring it. Like, let's, like, let's go. You know, I, I know the kind of work that I'm going to put in to do what I need to do um, to be able to go out here and try to go win. And that's that's all you can really try to go and, uh, and do. So, I mean, the first time kind of going up there, getting the understanding of how it was and, and understanding, like, yeah, I mean, when it's not going well, like, yeah, the fans will get on you. The media will get on you. But when it's going well – it's just the same, but in the opposite direction. I mean, having the opportunity to be able to play for the, the, the teams that I was able to play for there, obviously winning in 2008, having that stretch we had from like 07 to, you know, 2011. Um, in my personal opinion, there was not a louder place in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, the electricity that rolled through that stadium you know, night in, night out, sellouts, uh, the postseason. I was glad to get to see, you know, the guys last year getting off the, you know, getting over the hump and making it to the World Series. The, the biggest thing for me was I was so glad to see those guys that I had kind of finished my career with, you know, like Aaron Nolas and, and, and guys like that that are still there, like be able to experience the other side of the Philly fans where for so long you only got to see the, the the negative and hear about the negative of what Philly fans are and how tough they can be. But they show you how they can love as well and get behind you and the electricity. I mean, they're causing earthquakes, Mooney. They're causing earthquakes <laughs> in the stadium, man. So just to be able to get that, and as a player, when you get a taste of that, that's all you want. That's all you want. And so for those guys to make it to the series, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of unfinished business there. But um, but for me personally, you know, it was it was a great run. You know, you got to take got to take the good with the bad, the highs with the lows, man. But I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it for the world. So I was uh, glad I got to do my entire career in, in, uh, in Philly.
Yeah, you mentioned there there is two sides of that coin. And, and uh, you know, when I was growing up, I'm just a little kid, you know, snot-nosed kid, probably a pain in the ass running around the clubhouse. But back in those days, it was, you know, the Mike Schmitz and the Pete Roses and the Steve Carlton and, and uh, all those great players that, you know, they ended up winning a World Series in 80. So I got to see Mike Schmidt. You know, and still today, he's a top third baseman of all. I, I I got to see him booed out of the stadium. At the same time, I was on the float for the 1980 World Series when they won. So I saw that side of Philly. So it, it mm-hmm. truly is. There's two sides of that coin, and it's equal. I mean, the vitriol and the anger when you're not winning is, is unbelievable. I, I, I don't know, though. As a player, I never played in one of those towns. I never played on the East Coast, in a Boston, in New York, a Philly you know, I, I played in Cincinnati. Yeah, that's a Midwest town. It's a it's a good baseball city, but there wasn't that that passion like there is in, in a Philadelphia. Seattle, the nicest people in the world. They're having a latte watching the game. Early 2000s, that place was rocking and it was fun, but definitely didn't get to see that, that East Coast mentality. And as a as a visitor for a lot of years when I played, I kind of liked it. I loved rolling into the hostile environments where where people were going to come at you but i knew it was just because of the passion they had for their team and and uh their city no absolutely um i mean it was it's one of those things to where it like you said there's two there's two sides to that coin and if you know going into a philadelphia or a new york as a visiting player you know all you have to do is get the fans to turn <laughs> on their team by yeah. like either, you know, doing, you know, either scoring a bunch of runs or if, if there's errors and stuff like that, you know that that can turn into a home game yep. for you as a visiting team because they don't, they stop worrying about you and start getting on their, their own team. So, you know, the, the, the biggest thing I, that I kind of learned there was just, you know, you can't take it personal. Um, it's not like, the people know you on a personal level. They know you as a baseball player. And the way I always looked at it is Philly is the city of brotherly love. Like you, you, you fight with your brother, you argue with your brother. And, but at the end of the day, you still love your brother, right? There's always love underneath it all. And again, like Philly is like a second home for me, like a couple, you know, my, my two uh, older daughters, we're both born in Philadelphia. My wife's from right outside Philly. Um, so Philly, Philly always has a, pl- a special place in my heart, man. So they, they, they know it. They know it. We got an understanding. <laughs> oh, wait. You guys win the World Series. I want to talk about um, that year. And, and when did you know you had something special? In, in 2008, was it spring training? Charlie Manuel, who, who's a friend of the program, uh, had him on. I, I know he's kind of a beloved guy, especially amongst your group of, of, of teammates that you kind of grew up with. Uh, Charlie holds a big spot there. But but when did you know you had something special in, in, in the 08 season? Um, spring training. Uh, I remember having a conversation during batting practice with Jimmy Rollins and we were in the outfield shagging during batting practice and we just kind of had this conversation where i actually i think 2007 you know it was like 07 08 we had a conversation where it's like dude like why can't it be us like why can't we win you know um i think at the time the mets were the the, the team to beat 
in the division. Yeah, so Jimmy had, you know, come out in the media and they said that we're the team to beat. And I think we just saw kind of we knowing how Jimmy is, you know, he's he's very confident as he should be, and he was very confident in his team as he should be. And it was like, hey, we don't want to leave him out there on that island. So we went there, we backed it up, obviously made the run, made the push, and made it to the playoffs in 2007 where we ran into that buzzsaw that was the Colorado Rockies at the time. But going into spring training of 2008, I think we all had the feeling of unfinished business. We got a taste. We understood what the playoffs were like. And we knew, hey, we're very capable of being able to go out here and go win this whole thing. So why not? Why not us? And, you know, just that entire year, we just banded together and took care of business and, and, and wound up getting all the way to the World Series and, and winning that bad boy. Big year for you. you. You led the league in home runs and RBIs, 48-146. And I'll get into this a little bit later. I'm looking at your numbers for that. For about a five or six year, I mean, there weren't. <laughs> there's not too many people on the planet ever drove in more runs than that. I remember at the time watching you uh, going, damn, drives in a lot of runs every year, a lot of runs. Uh, but that was that was no exception for you that year either. Um, weird World Series. You got postponed for sleet and rain. It was like a it was like a one or two day deal. It was a two day deal. I was wondering how this whole thing was going to like unfold. I think we were one win away from winning the whole thing, and I'm sitting here as the weather is taking place. My man Hollywood Cole Cole Hamels is on the mound. We're up, I think, like two to one or something like that. And you can't feel your hands. It's ridiculously freezing out. And uh, I'm like, I just don't want him to throw me the ball because I don't know where it's going if I throw it back to him because I can't feel my hands. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know how, I don't know how he's pitching right now. But they come back and I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself, like, has there ever been a World Series one, like on a, on a rain out like, cancellation? Because we were already in like the fifth inning. So... Um, Bud Selig goes, they, the, the, the Rays tie the game up, Selig, they call it. And, uh, I think the best thing that they could have done at that moment was knowing what the weather was going to be like for the next day. And Booney, you know, it, like when you show up to the field, knowing it's going to be raining, like as a player, you get, you, you get the juices going and try to get ready mentally and, and physically and do all that stuff that you need to do to get prepared for the game. Only to be like, hey guys, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna bang it, you know. So I think the best thing that they could have done was obviously looking ahead to the next day and seeing what the weather was and that it was gonna rain all day and just said, no game on Wednesday. We're gonna try to pick it up Thursday. So as a player, you know, you you have this mental, uh, kind of a mental relaxation to where it's like, all right, I'm not going to the field today. I'm not gonna be, you know, trying to get up and 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 get the energy going and and then be let down but everybody had that full day of rest came back on thursday and it was weird because it was like you just picked up right where you left off and janky jeff jenkins came in and like ice cold just pinch hit double off the wall and and then that was you know the 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 go-ahead run and um you know it was it was such an amazing feeling to be able to get that momentum back. And it was crazy, man. Like I, I'd never seen or, or, or 
been a part of anything like that um, in all of baseball. I mean, it, it's pretty awesome. You mentioned a year ago, Philly, uh, they got to kind of get a little taste of it. They got to go to the World Series, didn't get to win it. Um, I was looking over your teammates there, you know, Charlie at the helm, and you had a Brad Lidge, uh, Stairs, Burl, Victorino, uh, good friend of mine, Jamie Moyer, uh, was a part of that ball club. Chase Utley and Rollins in the middle. Um, I remember that. I, I remember it was either 04 or 05. I forget Lidge's uh, first year in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. I forget when it was. But I remember facing Brad Lidge. I was kind of at the end of my career. And this Lidge guy, they said, oh, this guy, I heard he's tough. He's a, uh, you know, nobody's ever, you know, you know how it is as a veteran player. Yeah. The thing we hate the most, you know, I, I hated facing. I didn't want Pedro. I didn't want Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. But at least I knew what I was getting. The unknown as right. hitters is what we hate. And I remember Brad Lidge, he, he still to this day has left a mark on me. Might have been the only time I ever faced him. I think this is before he was a Philly. <clears throat> but I go out and there's a runner on third, less than two outs. And I'm in Seattle. We're playing in Seattle. And this Lidge guy comes in. And I'd never seen anything like before. I'd faced some pretty hard sliders in my career. But I got back from that at bat, and I ended up popping up, and I came back into the dugout. I think Edgar Martinez asked me, he goes, what's he got? I said, let me tell you this. That's the nastiest stuff I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know how you get a runner in from third with less than two outs. And I think it was like – I think it was one of his first appearances in the big leagues. You know, he went on to have one of those years – I forget whatever year Brad had where he, he was perfect for the entire – season but uh i do remember that about him you mentioned hamels was in that rotation um tell me about the philly that parade afterwards because i you know as a kid i got to be a part of it i it had to be pretty darn special oh man the the parade just going back to even before the the world series i'll take you one one better we're in the nlcs against la and we clinch and we hear about like what's going on back in Philly. And it's like people are in the streets, people are climbing uh, traffic light poles and just all kind of just craziness. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, like we didn't even, we haven't even won the World Series. Like this is just to get to the World Series. Like if we win, what would this actually look like? But the turnout, um, I think it was like a million, couple million people um, just, just the turnout of all the fans and all the people that showed up for the parade. I think uh, to this day, there's, there's so many different people that will come up and say, thank you so much for, for 2008. And, and as a ball player, you're just like, I was just, Hey man, I was just doing my job. Like, you know, it's, but, but you look at it on a deeper level to where it's like, when you hear the stories about how, People are like, oh, man, it brought my family so much closer together because we would go to the games or we'd all gather around the TV and watch the games. And it's like it's crazy because it's like then you feel and kind of see the impact that you had on people because we're just focused on playing a game. But when folks are able to kind of share those types of stories, um, you know, it just makes you feel really, really good inside. You feel even better, you know, because you won the World Series. But bringing bringing families and bringing people together and and just knowing like you had an impact on their relationships and then having them come out to the parade just to continue to show um that support man was was definitely something special 
go back to the beginning a little bit. You're a fifth round pick at a, a Southwest Missouri State. It was called at the time. Um, me a scouting report on Ryan Howard coming out of college. Um, scouting report, man. I would probably say the scouting report. I don't know because I felt like I was uh, pretty pretty deadly. Probably probably strikes out a lot. Uh, not as fleet of foot. I was a little bit faster back then, but um, I would say you know the 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 strong thing is is plus plus power. Um, puts the ball in play. Can hit. Could potentially hit for average. This was before shifts started coming into play, um, but drives the ball well to the opposite field. You you come out oh four was your first year, first taste. You get you get a call up oh five. You're the rookie of the year. You hit twenty two sixty three. Limited at bats. I saw. Mm. Uh, that's at oh five. The fastest guy to hundred home runs ever. The fastest guy to two hundred home runs ever. 06, you're an all-star. You hit 313. You only hit 58 homers that year and drove in 149. You win every award you can uh, in 06. You win the most valuable player, the Hank Aaron Award, which I – it's an underrated award, the Hank Aaron Award. I think it's great. There's not enough made of it. Uh, but you won that. You won Silver Slugger. Uh, what a year. Oh, 07, you hit 47. 136, you, you fell out of the 40s, Ryan. We talked about the 08 year. 09, you drive in 141 again. You're an all-star in and, and 9 and 10. 11, you drive in 116. That's when it happened. Tell me about the injury that changed. Because, I mean, right there, that's first ballot Hall of Fame. This guy has, he's on his way right now. And in 2011, you get hurt. Tell me. Talk to me through that injury and and how devastating it was. Yeah, no, it was it was crazy. Um, you know, later on in the season, uh, probably kind of like late August, going into September, I was kind of having some some a little bit of discomfort in my my left heel. Um, but you know, as we all do, we just kind of continue to try to play through it. And you know, was either told I can get like a cortisone shot or. Um, you know, something like that and try to continue to try to help play and wound up doing it. And then you get down to what I would say was one of the, the, the greatest games, um, at least for me, to have been a part of. Unfortunately, we came up on the wrong side of it was, you know, the, 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 the game against the Cardinals. And it was Chris Carpenter against Roy Halladay, like two buddies just going out and uh, just absolutely dealing. And it's one of those games to where as a fan, I think in, in a baseball, you know, a true baseball fan, it's, it was probably one of the most exciting games because it was a one nothing game, but both pitchers were on and get down to the last at bat. I'm the last, uh, there's two outs and I'm, I'm sitting up there and I know what Carp is going to throw me. He's going to throw me kind of this, this kind of cutter slider he's been throwing and so I try to get ready for it, and I just missed it, and kind of top it to uh, to second, and and then I just next thing I knew I was on the ground, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like you got to get up. Like you can't be on the ground. Like that ball's in right field. So I when I hit it, I thought initially it was like out in right field, like that the right fielder was about to field it, 
and uh, got up, tried to run, and then just kind of felt like this, like a like a a flap, just kind of like uh, a, a a window shade flap, just kind of rolling up the back of my leg, and just got this like burning, tingling sensation, and I'm like, yeah, that's not good, and my foot was just kind of flat and couldn't get any kind of push or anything. And, and after, uh, I got thrown out at first, I was, I was down and it was just tough. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was tough losing the game. Um, and, and it was, it was tough having the injury. Um, but, you know, trying to come back from it. Uh, I mean, I think hindsight, being 2020 now on this side, I'd probably say I probably tried to come back from it a little bit too fast. Um, probably should have taken a little bit more time just to continue to try to make sure it was fully, fully, uh, you know, healed more than a hundred percent, like 115%. Um, but you know, such as life and such as, is baseball, we always want to be out there and we always have that mindset that like, Hey, you know, me at 60% is better than a lot of guys at a hundred percent. So, right. Um, you know, you want to try to be out there with your, with your teammates and trying to help the guys win and, and do what you can. So I, I would say, you know, obviously looking back that I probably tried to come back a little bit too fast from that. The interesting the debate I've had, cause I I've never had to deal being that big guy, Ryan. I've always, I've always been the five ten guy on a, on a good day, you know, buddies of mine, like Richie Sexton, you know, I used to mm -hmm. tease him when, when, when we'd hit together and I'd say, Oh, it must be nice having that leverage, you know? Oh, he goes, yeah, Boone, it must be like nice having those short arms where so much can't go wrong. Try being this big walking around life. And, and we used to laugh and go back and forth with each other, but, but it is a, a true question. And it's for the Aaron judges of the world for, for the Giancarlo Stanton's for the Richie Sexton's for yourself, big, you know, six four, six five, six six guys. Is there a bigger challenge you think to staying on the field? Is it tougher to because you're so big for everything to to kind of stay in accordance? You know what? That's a great question. I mean, obviously, everybody's physical makeup is different. Um, you know, I think as you have some of the guys that are bigger guys, I think the guys in today's game do a lot better job taking care of themselves um nutrition um some of the training that that guys do but i i will say i mean like obviously like being a bigger guy i think it just a lot of it just depends man like it, it depends on what you're doing training wise i remember hearing uh one year that Syndergaard, noah Syndergaard, was you know i think he had the either the highest average fastball velocity or he was second highest or something and i remember like that off season he did an interview saying he wanted to come back throwing harder. And I'm like, for what? You're already throwing like 100, 101. Like you want to come back throwing 105? And then you have injuries. So I, I just think that, you know, it's tougher. Like the, some of the wear and tear on your body, um, being a bigger guy, um, yeah, it can definitely play a factor. It can definitely play a factor. But, I mean, you look at Jason Worth. Now, Jason was a guy I don't think really – he didn't really lift, like, a whole lot of weights or anything. His thing was more, like, flexibility, mobility, 
And he's one of those guys, like when you watch him swing, it's like he can almost turn all the way around when he, when he swings. And he, that's where he got so much more torque. So I think now it's like having the flexibility and the mobility and not having as much stress on your joints. I think whether you're a bigger guy, probably going to have, yeah, a little bit more stress on those joints. But even, even for the, the smaller guys, you know, the Altuve's and, and, and guys of that sort in the game, I think it, I, me personally, I think it's more about the mobility, um, having that, that mobility and flexibility in the game as more so as about like how much weight you can really push around. I also think too, cause you know, the second half of my career, I really got on that nutrition and the training side. I, I do think it is too, you know, when I talk to young players and I see the different, and there's so much available to the young players today, as far as technology and how to train, how not to train, uh, I think you got to find your niche too. You mentioned yeah. Jason Worth. You got to find what works for you individually. Just because mm-hmm. one guy does, uh, you know, is is an aerobic based workout, and another guy is a is a weight based, it doesn't mean that's for you. Whatever works for you, you know. Yeah. So if it's, you know, if it's you based, well, I, 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 go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say because I got a question for you too. Because it's like when you look at the guys, a lot of the old school pitchers, right? You see a lot of the injuries and arm injuries that you have today, but then look at what a lot of the old school guys were doing, right? Guys weren't necessarily pushing a lot of weight. You know, their stuff was more about that agility or, or mobility and flexibility. Like you know, Nolan Ryan started kind of doing weights. I think what probably like later, a little bit later in his career, right? But a lot of those guys just – you ask the old school guys, and they're like, all we did was just – we threw, threw, threw. Yeah, and, and, and there's a big debate about <clears> – especially with the guy – you know, the Randy Johnson type. It was mm-hmm. like he threw 125 pitch. It was no big deal. That was kind of normal for him. He never got hurt. Mm-hmm. In between in between starts, there's the big debate where do you throw off flat ground or, or you throw from the mound. Uh, and there's, and there's, you know, there's debates that go on, but, I, but I look at the players today and I'm not going to just get involved and say, oh, this is wrong. This is right. right. Uh, but, but you do, you see more injuries today. You see pitchers, oh, we can't push them past a hundred. I think the old school guys are kind of looking at them like, what do you mean you can't push them past a hundred? That's what we did. It, it was a part of staying healthy to, to mm-hmm. stretch it out instead of just, be so rigorous to these to these rules of oh you can't throw past a certain amount. Now time time will work out, you know. Uh, yeah. Data that we find over the next 10, 15, 20 years, I think that will help and assess how they go about it going forward. But but it's not necessarily I, I I don't necessarily buy oh you can only throw a certain amount of pitches if you're a starting pitcher and and this and that. I think past history has proven that to be false. But uh, it's going to be interesting in the game going forward. Uh, what is going to be the, the standard? Is it going to be the way it is now? Is it going to be the way it is 20, 20, years, 20 years ago? What's it going to be like 20 years from now? And, and I think it's interesting just to debate it. You know, it, it's fun to talk about. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that it's just going to be an ever-going process. Um, yeah. Like you said, for each, for each player, everybody's different. For each organization, every organization is different. And it's always, you know, trying to find, okay, what's the right match? What's the right niche to help this player be as optimal as they can right. possibly be? I remember kind of towards the end of my career coming in, you know, they were wanting to give the guys like the sensors that 
would, you know, measure their recovery. And me, you know, being the, being the, 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 the veteran guy, I'm kind of like, what is this? Like, we didn't have any of this stuff, you know? And it's like, well, wait, it, when you're trying to play for a potential another contract, it's like, all right, well, this is just another thing you can potentially use against me. Right. In in contract negotiations or whatever. But right, then when right. you really stop, but when you stop and look at it and it's like, okay, what are the benefits of it? Where it's saying like, Hey, you're only getting six hours of sleep or eight, seven hours of sleep or whatever. Like to be optimal, you need eight hours, seven and a half to eight hours sleep or whatever it is so that you can recover and be able to try to help understand. So it's like now looking at it, you know, at this point, it's like, okay, I get it. I get it now. It's, it's again, trying to find what's going to help make the guys the most optimal because our thing was playing. Booney was, yo, bro, if, if I'm there, I'm in there every day. Without a doubt. I'm in there every day. And if the manager gave you a day off, it was just like, I'm just going to give you a day just to give you a day. Or if you were kind of in a, a bit of a rut, hey, I just want you to clear your head. I'm going to give you the day off against this guy today or whatever, you know. But it's like now guys are having days days off built in strategically mm-hmm. so that they can t- continue to be their optimal selves when they're able to get out there. Because you know as well as I do, at least for me it was, if I got a day off, like – I'm, I'm pissed. Well, I was, I was, I was wanting to be in. I remember Charlie set me out against uh, Randy Johnson. I was like, Charlie, like, why? Like, I'm not. I mean, obviously, this is what this wasn't 98 mile per hour, Randy. But I was like, Charlie, I'm not. You know, I want. You know, I want a piece, man. I want. He's one of the best, man. I want to go after him. He's like, I know, I know, son, but. You just, I'm, I'm just gonna give you a day. I'm gonna give you a day, Ryan. Right. And well, you. You being Ryan Howard at the time, you go, I don't want Randy having the satisfaction satisfaction of knowing he thinks I'm ducking him and I got right. nothing to do with it. It's it's my skipper telling me what to do. Yeah, I think it's, you know, Ryan, I, I've gone back and forth in this. I'm very open-minded to, mm-hmm. to training techniques and I'm not from that camp of, oh, when I played, it's it was the greatest. No, there's a lot of things about my generation into the early 2000s that I love and I think play well in today's game. Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm very open to some of the new things that these kids are being introduced to and, yeah. and what they have access to. Part of me is very jealous because I wanted as much info as you could possibly give me. If I had uh, a way of monitoring, hey, what do I, I didn't get enough sleep last night. Now, I think too much too much technology, too much data in the wrong hands can be a detriment. I, I think it can set you back if you're constantly, oh, well, my, my sensors told me I, I, I needed another hour last night. Can I get two hits tonight? You know, I think right. that can be mental mental things that can mess with you. There's there's definitely a thing of too much information. But for right. me, man, I, I'm, I'd be a kid in a candy shop having the inf- info and the data and the technologies these guys have today. It's like, give me it, give me everything I can. And now I'll look at what I need to look at, have a, I'll have a plan going forward, use what I can use, discard, which I think I I don't need, but man, I'd be ready for battle because I'd have all the Intel, man. I I sit there and I see these guys with their, with their iPads in the, in the dugout. And I'm thinking, Oh, what would I, what I would give? Cause back when I'm playing, you know, we're getting into DVDs and, I'd run into the tunnel right after it at bat. I'd be like, 
I'd be yelling at our video guy, hey, bring up that last pitch. You know, I want to see what. And sometimes the technology works. Sometimes it won't. Just having that guy sitting there with the iPad going, all right, let me see those last two pitches. Ah, for me, it would be awesome. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's gonna, it's an ongoing thing. Uh, technology doesn't get worse. It gets better. It, it's how we use that technology going forward, I think, is the, the success and the failure rate. No, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Like you said, it's, it's using it to your advantage for what works for you. And then if it doesn't work for you, you just you got to let it go. Uh, you finish your career after 16, uh, 382 homers, 11, almost 1,200 RBIs. Um, for me at the time when I, when I retired, uh, I ended up retiring, then I came out of retirement, and I, and I re-retired after I came back. I realized, you know, I was 37, 38 years old, and I just wasn't moving uh, like I used to. I couldn't play every day. And the writing was on the wall, and I felt good about it. And I had some closure, and and uh, <clears throat> 08, I was officially done, and I was okay with it. Do you have a tough time walking away? Was it easy for you, or was it a process? <laughs> um, You know, it was – it, it as you as you say it's like it's it's tough i think that when when players are done a lot of guys want to try to leave out on their own terms um and and be able to have that closure um you know i did want to try to continue to play in 17 um did a small little stint with like the Braves triple a and then the rockies triple a and this was when the game, I think, was was starting to kind of turn more into the analytics of it all. And it was more, um, you know, like obviously the turnover, I think I was like 37, 38 at the time or whatnot. But I just said to myself, I'm like, man, if I can't get a big league uh, spring training invite, then I'm just going to shut it down. I was like, I'm not going to chase something that doesn't want to be caught. Right. So, you know, didn't get an invite in, in big league spring training. And so at that point, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to shut it down in 2018 and made it made it official. Um, there's always that little bit. There was always that little bit of like, you know, you're still watching the game. and You're like, oh, yeah, I could have been doing this or I could have done that and, and all that. But it's like it's like at this point now, it's like, man. Some of these pitchers, this this stuff is filthy. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the running and and and, and the spring track, like all the stuff, like the camaraderie of getting around the guys. It's like you pick up right where you left off. So you always enjoy and can miss that. But I'm like, the day in the daily, the the daily grind of it all. It's like, I'm good, man. <laughs> I'm all right. I'll like, tell you. You're right, because I'll watch, you know, I'll catch it. I'm watching a game, you know, I'm watching games on a daily basis. And certain nights, I'll be watching a pitcher on the mound, and I'll go, that's what makes me happy. You know, when people say, Brett, do you miss the game? Of course I miss the game. It was my whole life, you know, since I was <laughs> this high. That's all I ever did is play baseball. And I grew up in, in a baseball world, and then I, I did it for a living for a long time. So, of course, I miss it. But certain nights I watch, you know, like I watch a uh, a Jason DeGrom pitching. I know he's hurt now. And I'll go, I don't miss that. I don't yeah. miss chasing that slider off the plate that out of his hand I read as a heater. <laughs> I don't miss that one bit. But, yeah, everything yeah. else, the camaraderie, hanging out with the guys, getting up and, and, and being on a mission together and fighting to, to try for that ultimate 
uh, goal of winning a World Series. Yeah, I do miss that. But chasing that slider off the off the plate, no, don't miss that one bit. Uh, no. Little post post career for you, and this is really interesting. Now, I I saw Ryan Howard doing the Subway commercials. I thought they were great, <laughs> but I didn't know you wrote a bunch of children's books. You've got six of them. Tell me what 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 brought that on. So my wife uh, was a second grade teacher um, outside of uh, a school up outside of Philadelphia. And she just came to me one day and she was like, man, I would just always like thought about wanting to like write a book. I was like, why not? Like, why can't we? So um, we came up with the Little Rhino series, came up with six books, um, stuff just kind of like loosely based on you know, my life, things that took place, my wife's life as well. Um, and just thought it would be really, really cool to, to, to do the books and kind of have like little messages and whatnot in the books for, for kids to be able to read and enjoy. Um, and just understand that like, hey, if you're, you're feeling a certain way about certain things or whatnot, like you're, you're not alone and try to give some solutions on how to kind of deal with some of that. Very cool. Got to, got to tap you. You're on a, you're on a, uh, and these are the cool things about Philadelphia. I mean, I know you had, uh, they named it, they named a character in the office after you, Ryan Howard, stuff like <laughs> that is cool. You got to go on a, you and Utley did a, uh, an episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia, stuff like that. Did you enjoy doing stuff like that? You know what? I did. My major in college was communications, mass media. So it's like, if I didn't play baseball, I was like, it's either doing something and like, radio, TV, whatever, whatnot. But being able to kind of like step outside of the comfort zone and step outside my box and and do some some cameo appearances on some shows were really cool because I always enjoyed seeing other people in their niche and how they go about doing their work and what kind of goes on behind the scenes with that. So it's like you said, doing the subway, like doing being able to see all the stuff that takes place you know, behind the scenes and the commercials and, and the dressing of the sandwiches and like just all of that for like a, a, a 30 second, one minute spot, you know? So it's like, you're doing stuff for six hours for 30 seconds. So, I mean, the amount of work and just dedication from all these people, it's, it's really cool to, to kind of do and, and, and see and always sunny uh, was really cool. Like being able to do it with Chase, because if anybody who's known Chase, it's like, you just knew him from being on the field. He was just the hard nose, like, don't talk to me. Had like kind of like that old school, like, don't talk to me if you're on the other team, like mentality. So it was like at that time, him coming out and kind of doing the, the show together was was really cool. He's sneaky funny too, by the way, for, for folks that know. Oh, yeah. Chase, oh, hot mess. Hot mess. Love every <laughs> bit of it. Love every bit of it. The guys that are close behind, it's – the, the guys that are close, you know, behind the scenes, we, we all know. We, we oh, well, without without a case. doubt. Without exactly. a doubt. Yeah, and it's funny having that insight on people. You know, mm -hmm. one of my best friends of the game to this day is Edgar Martinez. And believe me, his reputation of being this, one of the nicest guys in the game and the most humble, all true. But behind the scenes – He's a lot of he's a lot of fun, you know, and he's this big teddy bear. Oh, yeah, but he's 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 I believe he's he's, 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 he's he's what I would like. I'd call him a party in a box. Yeah, he's, he's a party he, in a box is what he Edgar is. is awesome. And uh, 
like I said, one of my true good friends to today. Everything you hear about him, uh, of just a humble, you know, I don't know how many batting titles he won, but as humble as as all get out, and and that is all true. But he's a lot of fun too, and he's um, funny. He's that sneaky funny, like you talk about. I I, I can't even get on the phone with him. He'll he'll call me once in a while, and we'll talk. He's like, yeah, Boone, I am just floating in my pool watching the Mariners game, and he'll have questions, and and we'll get to reminisce. But just hearing that broken that accent. And that and that broken English that only Edgar can do it his way. I it it gives me a lot of joy. Like, all right, we're back, and, and that's a part of being back in that clubhouse again. It's like, wow, I remember this. I got a chance, uh, Ryan, and I've shared this. Uh, you know, coming back home, and I'm going to get to this, and before we're finished. But I think Philly does a great job with bringing you guys in every year. I know my dad's a part of that that family that comes back every year to Philadelphia. And and I look at all the organizations, and Philly's right at the top as far as handling that alumni and bringing guys back through and letting the, letting the fans really connect with the past and the present. I think Philly's one of the top notch in, in all the game. But touching on on – things we miss about the game as we, as we get, as we get farther removed from our playing career, uh, just being up in Seattle a few weeks ago that we were both up there for the all-star game, you know, they announced our, our Oh one team before the game. And in just the 20 minutes I had with the Oh one teammates, you know, the Freddie Garcia's coming back and the Kazuhiro Sasaki's and Johnny Olerud, who was my, was my, uh, my right side of the infield for a lot of years. And, and Edgar, Lou Pinella, my skipper, coming back in. And they put us all in a room for about 20 minutes before we went back on the field. And, I, and my job was, and, and it is, hey, get Lou going, get him some questions, and then <laughs> turn him loose. Turn him loose on the room. And for 20 minutes, I saw more smiles and genuine love in that room. Uh, and I felt like it was 20 years ago. Uh, again, only for 20 minutes we got it. But those are the special times in, in game in our careers that that you can't get back. So when you get a little glimpse of them and you get to to have that opportunity, however short it may be, uh, man, I, I really it was a time where I really treasured and thought this is what it's all about. And how lucky am I to get to do what I did for so long? And and these moments remind me of that. So a, a little sappy story for you, but I thought yeah. it was was relevant to this conversation. No, you know what? It's 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 smack dab on because it's the same exact thing. When you get our group of guys together last year, um, as you mentioned, like the Phillies do an amazing job with Alumni Weekend, bringing guys back. Um, we had a bunch of guys from that 08 team that came to the World Series. Like the Phillies brought a lot of us back. And, you know, we were all up there. We're, we're rooting on, you know, the current team. The, the, the crowd is – is, is getting hyped because they're showing, you know, the guys from the 08 team and they're just getting pumped and energized for the guys that are currently on the field. But it's like you said, you get Charlie in the room and you get all of us in the room and the conversations that just take place. And it's just like, like you said, it's just like being there. It's like being back in 2008 and, and all those years just – from being in the clubhouse and guys picking up those relationships and those conversations just as though it was yesterday. So it's like those, those relationships um, and those moments will, will, will never die. It's, it's always going to be the same way I feel. Very cool. Very cool. Um, 
before I let you leave, I one thing, and and this is a guy I grew up with, and mm-hmm. he's a legendary guy. We lost him a few years ago, but but you got to see uh, him early in his career. Just say a few words about Harry Callis. Oh man, HK. What I mean, what can you say about? So I was lucky enough in growing up, obviously in St. Louis, we had Jack Buck as you know the announcer for the Cardinals. And then you had Harry Carey for the Cubs. So like I grew up hearing and listening to those guys, those guys. And I always thought it was the coolest thing. But then to get to Philadelphia and have a guy like Harry Callis like calling your calling your home runs and just talking to you. And HK was so cool because like majority of the media people would sit in the front, right? So you had like the like you had the uh, yeah, the coaching staff and like the media people would all sit to the front of the team playing. HK was like in the very back <laughs> of the plane, like back by the players, just lounging out. The nicest guy you could ever meet. Always so kind to 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 me, to to my family. Um, but just hearing him, you know, call a home run. Um, man, it was like, it's, it's one of the most absolute honors that I could ever have. And, and, and you try not to look at it and take those types of things for granted, but it's like going back and hearing him call some of the, the, the balls that I've hit or some of my teammates have hit. It's special, man. It, it, it really is special. Um, and he is always going to be a part of that Philly family and as, as he should be. Very cool. You you keep it up with the Phillies today? I, I know a year ago you watched that. You, you went in for the World Series. Uh, as we record this podcast, um, the Phillies are right there. They're sitting just on the outside of that of that uh, of that wild card berth. Wild card. And mm-hmm. what do you think? Can they make another run? Are they I good think- enough? I think the Mets the the Mets kind of gave them an opening. You know, everybody expected the Mets would have a really good season. They've had a very uh, you know, rough season. Let's let's be nice yeah. about it. Rough season. People didn't expect that. But what do you look at this year's Phillies team? Do they have a chance to make another run like they did a year ago? I think they do. I think they do. And um, you know, knock on wood, it's it was probably close to around this time last year. You know, when you get to the back half of August, we all know Booney is about who gets hot at the right time going into September, and I've been saying this, that, you know, winning the division is is great. Like, every, that's what everybody wants to try to do is go and win the division. But now that you have these wild card teams and you got the extra spot for the wild card team, it's the wild card teams, to me, are the most dangerous teams because they've been in playoff mode since probably the back half of August and most definitely all of September because every game for them in September – is me is is beyond meaningful right so this was a team that you know they they got out to a slow start the phillies got out to a slow start but i, I think that's just kind of the repertoire of of of, of, of philly because even when i was there we'd always have slow starts in april and start to pick it up over the course of the year but it's as you know the old cliche is it's it's a it's a marathon not a sprint so now once you start to get to September is when you start to kind of 
pick it up and, and start to get into that sprint, that sprint mode. But I think if they can continue to just, you know, stay healthy and just keep playing ball, I think they're going to be, uh, I think with this group of guys that they have and the leaders that they have, and obviously getting a taste of not only making the postseason for the first time last year, but going all the way to the world series, I, they understand what it takes. Um, the one big thing too, for me last year, once they actually got into it was we got to see something that we haven't seen in a long time, Booney. And that was small ball. Yeah. Phillies were winning games, playing small ball, get them on, bunt them over. Now you could probably say it too. Cause back then it was like, you had your leadoff hitter and a lot of times if a guy was on second or whatever, or even on first, you didn't even have to, the coach didn't even have to give the sign. That next guy came up and knew what to do. Like when we had Jimmy and Shane and those guys, it was Jimmy got on. If Jimmy got a double, Shane was bunting. There was no sign necessary. Like Shane was bunting. So that way Chase, myself, Pat, or whoever was coming had opportunities to be able to try to get that run home. So I think the small ball with the Phillies also helped a lot. I think you're probably going to see some more of that coming in towards the back half of, of, of September. Swarbs is going to hit his bombs and Bryce is going to do his thing. Everybody's going to do their thing. But once you get down to the back end of September and it's close to those post to that postseason, you're going to see them start, I think, probably doing some more small ball and, and do what they need to, to truly win those games. I laugh because pe- people do. They call it small ball. And, and when I was playing, it wasn't small ball. It's how you play baseball. And yeah. those, are, those early 2000 Seattle Mariner teams I was on, uh, like you said, if somebody leads off with a double, it was automatic. And not necessarily yeah. got to bunt them over, but you get them over. However you yeah. get them over, one hop rocket to the second baseman works. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it's a sack fly. And it's one nothing before the – it seems like it's one to nothing before the national anthem's done. Right. And that, over time, when you play the game that way, over time that wears down your opponent because your opponent starts to go, here the, here, here the Phillies go again. It's one mm-hmm. nothing before – before we know what hits us after a while, that will beat you down as an opponent. Mm -hmm. And I think the great teams do it. We've gotten away from that as a, as a, I like a lot of things with the modern game, but getting away Mm -hmm. from playing the game correctly, I think is a detriment to the game. You play the game, right. And, and even if you're a star in the middle of the lineup, if, if Ryan Howard comes up with a runner on second, nobody out and gets him over with a ground ball to the right side, that guy hitting behind you on deck, he might not have driven in a run for a week. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. he hits a can of corn fly ball. He can drive a run in again. Mentally, he's he's there now. Because mm-hmm. why? Because Ryan Howard hit a ground ball to the right side. And all of a sudden, he goes, if Ryan Howard's going to do that for me, I'm going to do it for the guy behind me. Next thing you know, everybody's doing it for the next guy. And you have team camaraderie like you couldn't mm-hmm. imagine. And the great teams I've ever played on had that team camaraderie. Everybody down to that 25th, now 26-man roster, mm-hmm. had each other's back. And it and it starts with the stars, the guys in the middle of that lineup. If they're willing to do it, well, damn it, that 25th guy on the roster, that utility player, he sure as hell is going to do it as well. And I think that's how you you t- create that team chemistry that, that you can't really – uh, you can't teach it. You just get it. It, it yeah. comes with with how you perform, how you go about your business. Anyway, no, that, that's that's good well, stuff. Absolutely. It, and and another thing to add though, too, Booney, is you're putting pressure on the defense. If a guy is yeah. coming up and bunting, 
You know, it, you're putting you 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 lay down a perfect bunt, and if you're a speedster, you might make that guy make a mistake. All of a sudden, he throws it past the first baseman. Not only does the guy go from first to third, now you got two runners on at second and third. So again, it's a, it's about putting pressure on the defense um, as well as now you've got the big bulk with nobody out. You got first and or you got second and third. You got your three, four, five coming up. I'll take my chances <laughs> and and, right. and let it eat. You know, now I got I got at least two shots for a sack fly. And if this guy can get a base hit, that's two runs right there. So. Yeah, it's 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 just continuing, like you said, it's playing the game, uh, the way baseball was supposed to be played. But we'll we'll see, we'll see. And I think I think maybe some other teams might look into getting to it because once you get into the postseason, the pitching and everything just gets better, everything gets heightened, and you know how hard it is to come across runs, to come by runs. Yeah. So you got to figure out ways to produce runs and manufacture runs. Like it's not going to always just be the home run, but you know you just you got to figure out ways to to scratch and claw and fight and, and win the games. Yeah. Right, Howard. It's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate you coming on the Boom Podcast, and uh, what a great career! I wish you all the best. It was great, uh, you know, getting to know you a little bit at the in this last oh, trip we had it. up to Seattle, but. Uh, class act and and like i said what a what a great career i know that philly trip's coming up for you pretty shortly here so enjoy it if you run into bob boone keep him straight keep him straight <laughs> for sure for <laughs> all right sure. man and for all you out there watching or listening to the Boone podcast i appreciate you checking us out and uh we'll see you next time <laughs>